when I was, before when I, I owned a business, but I really owned my job. I really was a solopreneur, which I think is great, but I, I worked, I mostly worked on an hourly basis or if it was a contract basis, sometimes I'd hire help, but it was like on a, on a limited scale, like on a project, I might bring someone in to help me and then, and so I was successful at that and, and I was successful at doing that, but there's a very different mindset when you're the CEO of a business that employs other people and has things that don't include you. Like I don't, I'm not involved in everything that happens in the business and that was a big mindset shift. Are you the CEO of your company? Do you understand your responsibility as the CEO? When you are a solopreneur, your responsibility is bringing in money for you alone and do an awesome job for your clients. But when you are scaling your business and step into a CEO role, you now have a way bigger responsibility. You're listening to her CEO journey. I am your host, Christina Shahli, cash flow consultant and chief financial officer. I am here on a mission to empower you to become a CEO who pay yourself like a true CEO, who are not clueless when it comes to your finances, and you are in this journey for the long game. You can achieve all of this by making sure that your business is generating positive cash flow. My guest today is Megan Francis the CEO of Life Listen and the co-host of the Mom Hour podcast. She has been an entrepreneur for 13 years, but she took an entrepreneurship vacation for about 10 months between 2017 and 2018. When she came back to entrepreneurship, instead of coming back as a solopreneur, now she has a business partner and Megan takes on the CEO role. We talk about the differences between being a solopreneur versus being a CEO? How does her mindset shift in her new role? How does she use her creative background in her new business model? What is her mindset and approach in reviewing the financial numbers? Why does she believe it is important to review the financial number? Now, let's listen to Megan Francis' CEO journey. Megan Francis, welcome to her CEO journey. It's a pleasure to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. So um, I listened to one of your podcasts uh, with Tara McMullen, and I'm really interested to hear your journey because I think your journey is a little bit different uh, because you were an entrepreneur for 13 years, I believe, and then you went back to work for somebody, Uh (laughs) and then you realized that it's really not for you. You lasted like 10 months. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And yes. then now you are building your business again. Yes. So please tell the audience and myself, like, how was your CEO journey? Sure. Okay. So I have been an entrepreneur for now over 13 years. Um, I started off with just a writing business, a freelance writer. I did that when I had a bunch of little kids at home and I knew that writing was a strength of mine and I really didn't want to have an office job and I really needed to make a, a living. Um, and had a lot of success right off the bat with that. And then that kind of morphed into blogging and social media and content marketing. And I was always kind of riding, kind of riding the wave of whatever the next thing was, which was great. Um, and I had a lot of success on my own doing that. Um, and then had started podcasting around, well, I started in 2012, but it really wasn't taking off in my niche yet, which is moms and women and it, you know, lifestyle stuff. 
um, podcasting just wasn't really building an audience just yet. Yeah. Um, so I was doing that kind of as like a side hustle. It was a fun little thing I liked to do, but it wasn't really a big focus. And in 2015, my now business partner, Sarah Powers, and I started the Mom Hour, which we then kind of grew a network around. And I had had the network. The network is called Life Listened, um, which is now kind of, we could talk about this later, but it kind of, it kind of has morphed into a creative services agency and production company. Yeah, I want, I'm interested in that. Yeah. <laughs> at the time, um, at the time, it was just, Life Listened was an idea of mine. It was like, wouldn't it be great? if there was just this collection of web of podcasts and you knew that if you listened to one and you liked it, you'd probably like the next one, and the next one, because they would all be sort of by similar people or they would, they would be your people. And at those, in those days, it was very difficult to find podcasts. Um, if you listen to say like one mom podcast, it was really hard to find another one. And I think sometimes that can still be tricky uh, mm -hmm. to find another one that might be sort of the same tone or like, the same worldview. Like it was really hard to find groups. So that was kind of my idea. And that's all I thought about. Like I didn't have any grand vision beyond that. That was literally all it was. So, um, that was kind of an idea. Then the mom hour happened and we actually got some traction and, and started really growing an audience. Okay. So this, this life listened idea, this network idea was sort of percolating all around that. But right around the same time I got a divorce. Okay. And I have five kids. Um, at the time, four were still minors, still in high, high school or younger. And I kind of, oh, and then I had a whole bunch of my content marketing clients just dried up all at once. Anybody who does client-based work, you know, can know that they, sometimes it can be very feast or famine. And when you have a partner, that's one thing you can, the other person can kind of balance things out for you for a little bit until you can get things going again. But I didn't have that safety net and it was really paralyzing. I was just like, what am I going to do? Like when you start to worry about money, it's really hard to make money. So uh, <laughs> I was panicking and also, you know, emotionally drained and just my mojo just wasn't there. Like all of my, I've always been a hustler, but my hustle just got up and left me. Um, so I just happened into an, a job at a marketing agency, like a friend of mine worked there um, was high up in the company. They needed a senior copywriter. My experience matched up. And I said, yep, this sounds great. They have health insurance. I'll do that. And then I'll still build this podcast on the side. Okay. Well, that was in 2017. And as we probably all know, podcasting suddenly blew up. Like it was already kind of getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But in 2017, it really started going, like ours started to go really bananas. And okay. So here I am working this full-time job. I also was uh, doing a radio morning show. I heard. <laughs> like I was like a co-host <laughs> yeah. on a radio morning show. Also fell in my lap. It was like a fun thing to do and a great opportunity. But so I was working like 60 hour weeks between my two jobs and then trying to also grow this podcast and help launch this uh, business that at the time was this, this idea. We didn't know what it was. And so... Um, 10 months into the, into the job that I had taken, I, I ended up leaving because I kept, we kept getting these opportunities for the podcast and the network. And I knew there was an opportunity cost with me continuing to have this nine to five job that I didn't love. I don't like other people telling me what to do. And I don't like to have to be someplace other people. I'm like set in my ways now as a, as an entrepreneur, but, um, so I really just saw that we were missing out on things because Sarah is the great, she's my business partner. She's a fantastic um, executor, but I, the job that I needed to take on was like the visionary and, and saying, this is where the opportunity is and we need to go after that. And I wasn't available. I couldn't do it. 
So we made the decision to make it like basically figure out a way to make it so that I could leave that job. And we really worked together to make that happen. And I was able to do that um, last June. So it's been almost a year since I left that job and I've been full-time at the network. So what it was like to move, I think the biggest difference was when I was before when I, I owned a business, but I really owned my job. I really was a solopreneur, which I think is great, but I, I worked, I mostly worked on an hourly basis or if it was a contract basis, sometimes I'd hire help, but it was like on a, on a limited scale, like on a project, I might bring someone in to help me. And then, and so I was successful at that and, and I was successful at doing that, but there's a very different mindset when you're the CEO of a business that employs other people and has things that don't include you. Like I don't, I'm not involved in everything that happens in the business. And that was a big mindset shift for me. So that's kind of where I am now. Um, as far as where I was to where I am now, now I really consider myself like leading a, a, a entity that's not just about me and what I can do face to face for a client. And it's uncomfortable sometimes it's taken me a while to grow into that role and get comfortable with it. But I like, I like where I'm, where I am now. So it's cool. So tell me this, when you say you're uncomfortable, what is it that you are uncomfortable about? Like being oh. a CEO? So a couple different things. Um, it's uncomfortable sometimes to make a decision that's good for the business, even if it's not good for me right now. Like that is, it's, and by uncomfortable, I just mean I'm not used to it. So looking at something and saying, I could do this thing now and it's going to put, it's going to pad my bank account, which is the way I used to look at things. Like I'm going to make X amount of money and it's going to be in my pocket in the next 60 to 90 days. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to make a decision that's going to be for the long-term life of this company, which might mean turning down a great opportunity because it doesn't fit with what the purpose of this company is. There's mm -hmm. been things I've had to say no to as a business owner that I would have absolutely said yes to as sort of a solopreneur, um, mm -hmm. a solo entrepreneur. And that is, I'm a hustler. I like, I like to chase the work and I like to take the work. And mm -hmm. so if something falls in my lap and it just, and we can't make it fit, it just doesn't fit the business model. We have to say no to it. And that's hard. That's hard for me. To, it's hard for me to say no to work. It's hard for me to say no to money. Um, so that's one thing. Sometimes, also having other people whose opinion matters just as much as mine <laughs> is also uncomfortable, but in a good way, because I think I don't know everything. And, and like all of, all of my ideas and opinions could use a, uh, could use a reality check at times. And so one of the nice things about having a partner is we really complement each other and the way, the ways that she is really strong and the things that she's great at aren't necessarily the things I'm really good at and that I'm strong at. So we really balance each other out, but it's hard to go from someone who makes, who calls all the shots to being someone who does everything um, in a partnership. And so that's, that's another kind of uncomfortable thing. But, but when I say uncomfortable, I just, I, it's more like a learning, it's a learning experience and it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's like flexing a muscle. It hurts at first, <laughs> it burns, but then the muscle gets stronger. <laughs> and it's yeah. stronger. Yeah, exactly. And then you can see you doing it, right? And then yes. a new challenge. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So as a solopreneur though, like, do you think the struggles that you are having, uh, because you, you know, a business, I don't know, you tell me this because you've been a solopreneur and then now you're like, you say it like it's a business, right? Mm -hmm. To me, both of them are a business. Do you think the struggles that you experience yeah. in both of them are the same? What are those struggles? 
if you can. So, yeah, no, I think, I actually think they're different. I think when I was, um, when I was a solopreneur, the struggle f for me was thinking I could do things I wasn't very good at and then wasting a lot of time doing things that I like wearing hats that I really didn't have a lot of business wearing and not wanting to give up control or take the time to delegate or give up money. Like all of those things as a solo person, there are still things that needed to be done that I wasn't great at because as soon as you get past a certain point, unless you literally only have one offering and that's all you ever do, even if all I ever did was write articles or, um, do coaching or something like that. And I've done all of those things. And even if that's all I did for a business, there was still the aspect of organizing my calendar, uh, marketing myself, all of those things still have to happen. All those mm -hmm. functions, mm -hmm. um, maintaining the books, uh, those all have to happen. And I'm not as equally great at all of those things. Right. So as a solopreneur, it was really hard for me to delegate things. It was really hard for me to let them go because it felt like time out of my calendar or money out of my pocket. And that those things felt very precious to me. Um, mm -hmm. Now it's a lot easier for me to delegate, mm -hmm. but it's harder for me to, let me see. It, it's, it's harder for me to narrow things down because I could delegate anything I want. I mean, I have help. I could take any project on. Um, and then it becomes more about, not about like, what I can do, but is this good for the health of the business? Like, is this something, is this a direction this business needs to go in? And if it's not, is it something I'm interested in doing personally? And then how do I split my time between me, Megan, and me, the leader of this, this business? So it's, it's just two different, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. You know, they're both, it's both um, money and time are finite. Yeah. And skills, uh, strengths are, are also not necessarily finite, but they're just, they're limited and, and you can only do so much yourself personally and figuring out how to use the resources you have, I think is a challenge regardless of what kind of business owner you are. Okay. So yeah. this is <laughs> when I, um, okay. So life listen. Yeah. Okay? That is your company. Yes. Right. Um, uh, now when I look at your website, mm -hmm. okay. I have seen also podcasting and audio content writing yeah. and then life coaching. Yes. Yeah. So I am a little bit curious. Maybe you can, yeah. now you can explain to me like, what is this life listen? And sure. then how is that? Because my understanding life listen is like a network. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to get an understanding as well. Sure. What is that network? And it is also an apps. Mm -hmm. uh, as agency, I believe, like you correct me. Yep. And then uh, you're saying it's a boutique uh, as a creative agency for podcasting. Yeah, okay. Now, so, so yeah, all these things have to work together, yes, right? Yes. And yes. then how the life coaching comes in. Yeah. I'm interested as well. So to be really honest, like the life coaching thing is is kind of on high, not on a hiatus. I take clients on on a very limited basis. It's not a huge focus for me right now okay. um, because I want to be of value to people who are kind of in a position like I was in maybe five years ago. Like that's really where I see it, where they're trying to make a change or they're trying to move into something um, 
into something new or chase an opportunity or figure out how to balance their life with kids with their life as a, as a working mom. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of the clients that I take on. And that's kind of like a side, that's a side thing for me right now. Not a huge under life. Listen. Yeah. And that's not under life. Listen, that's just me personally. So life listened. We started off as a network of shows. We brought on like five shows in addition to the mom hour Mm -hmm. and they were all under our umbrella. And then what we started, and then we helped get them off the ground with production and, and, launch coaching and getting these shows off the ground. And in doing that, we really honed in on what our skill set is in the production space, which was we know how to build a great show, get it out to where it needs to be, get the sound to where it needs to be, all of those things, and get it in front of people. And we're great at, um, at building communities around, around podcast ideas. So instead of now being like a network we, at first we were kind of thinking, oh, we're just going to have this big network of shows. They're all going to have different hosts and people can kind of just come in and join. And then we realized like, that's not exactly where our strengths lie. So we're doing more now like production where we're helping someone get, someone get off the ground, get their show launched, blah, 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 get ready to monetize. Cause that's a huge focus for a lot of people and they just don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And once they've got that kind of all set, then they can go launch their show, but it's not going to be quite as under our umbrella as we were originally thinking like we don't want to have ownership of their show once it's up and ready it's theirs they can do what they want with it um we will help that happen via our production and coaching services but it's not like now you're in our network and we take a cut of all of your ads and that's kind of the model we had at first and we just found that it really it wasn't it wasn't doing the like the most opportunity for anybody because once people had their shows ready and going Mm -hmm. we didn't need to be in the middle of their advertiser relationships Mm -hmm. um but they really needed us at the beginning a lot. So we've kind of shifted that model. So we're more of a production company than a network now. Mm-hmm. We still do a lot of the same services, but it's just that our relationship with the show, once it's up and, and out, is different now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there's the, the creative services agency. So this is like the other side of it and the ad network, and those kind of go together. So we, one thing we realized um, in doing the Mom Hour is that Sarah and I are very good at the creative aspects of podcast advertising. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the ads that were coming to us trickling, and I don't know if, if, you know, your listeners have a lot of experience with working with some of these big ad agencies, but we would get these, we would get like the copy points from the ad agency that was several layers up. So there'd be like this big ad agency under the brand, and then that would trickle down to like a broker. And then by the time it got to us, it had been, first of all, everyone's getting a cut. So the money is dwindling. and then when it got to us, we would be looking at these copy points um, and the script. And it just it didn't make sense for us or for our audience. And then we'd always end up kind of rewriting the script. And then we'd have to go back to get permission to use this rewritten script. And then we'd have to go back up the chain and have to go to the top again. You know, so it was just this, all this back and forth. And we really realized that for, especially for small brands who don't have endless money to spend on podcast advertising, there was a lot of money being left on the table in that exchange, like they were losing money in the deal or couldn't even enter in. Like there was no, there was no way for say a startup app that had a limited budget mm-hmm. to get in with this huge network that was going to connect them with a hundred shows and everyone's taking a cut on the way down. Right. So okay. we thought we're, we're really good at helping them hone their message, tell their story, and then communicating that to other podcasters so that other podcasters can also do the same thing with their audiences who might have a slightly different take. Like 
a different show might not want to read the ad the same way because their audience might not relate in the same way to that copy. So that's kind of been a thing that we're, we're offering and we call it boutique because it's not, we're not trying to work with like, um, you know, Procter and Gamble and stuff like this necessarily. They have huge teams for those things. We're really looking at who is this sort of startup or mid-range company that needs help getting into the podcast world, but doesn't know how to make their message work for a podcast audience. We can help with that. And then we can also connect them with other podcasters and help kind of broker and do the ad placement for them. But we don't really do the ad placement as a brokerage unless the creative services are wrapped in because that's where our strengths are and we don't want to be a middleman. There's already enough of those. <laughs> so okay. so yeah. I got to be honest with you. I'm yeah. a little bit confused. Sure. So, uh, let, when you say startup, yeah. right? Um, let's say a software startup. And yeah. then you're saying that if that software startup, uh, they want to promote their product yeah. through... Through podcasts. Ah. Yes. You're saying, let's say that I'm, you know, just giving an example. So it's, it's sure. clear for me. So if there is a startup software, and then let's say that I am related, my audience is their audience as well. Yes. You get, you're going to help that promote that startup to me so if you're if you are okay I'm so if you're a pod if you're a podcast listener yes so here's how it would work let's pretend let's pretend you have a show let's 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 take you and me out of it because that confuses me okay. <laughs> but okay. i think I'm really talking about us okay so let's say that there is a startup software company and it is an app i'm just gonna make this up say it's an app that Let's say And they're having a hard time find a finding podcasters to promote their software Got it. on their shows through ads. Yes. And B, when they do manage to find podcasts that will promote their ads, they're not having success because they're not able to communicate what they need to the podcaster or help the podcaster make an effective ad. Okay. So what we do is help, help the brand communicate yes. what, about their product to the podcaster, and then we help the podcaster create a more effective app. So those are like, that's kind of the creative side. Both Sarah and I come from creative backgrounds. We're both writers. Um, and so that's like in content marketers, and that's been something that we've done a lot with brands over the years. So it just makes sense. It, it makes sense that we can take something because writing an ad or a blog post is very different from writing a podcast script. It's okay. Different. It's reaching an audience in a very different way, and we get a lot of um, we get a lot of scripts that were written by someone outside of the brand that don't make sense for a podcast audience. So what we do is translate that, and we make it we we help the brand communicate yep. their story yep. so that the podcaster understands it, so that the podcaster can then communicate it to their audience, and then their audience is more likely to act and take action. Ah, so basically. So, yeah. Let's say that if there is a software, a accounting software, yeah. finance software, whatever, that want to yeah. um, promote their product, let's say you're going to contact me yeah. because I'm a finance person, right? And then you're going to say, hey, I have you, you're going to write the script for me to read like during the break of my podcast show. And then I read it and then promote that brand and how to reach the audience. So when the audience listen to it they're like oh, okay i'm interested oh, this makes sense i'm interested this makes sense oh yes, yes. yeah so okay but 
your client is the startup. It's not the podcaster then. No. Our, well, I mean, the podcaster is making money from the deal, but, but, uh, but we're making money from, we're making money from the brand. Yes. But the yes. podcaster is also making money from the brand. Right. Exactly. Yes. So oh. we're acting kind of like a broker and like an agency in the middle that's helping. Got connect. it. You are the broker for the relationship and then you are an agency that creating the content. Yes. That's oh. helping to make it work. Yep. Oh. Because we felt like that was the missing piece. The, the, we, there's lots of brokers out there that can place ads. That's, that's oh. no problem. And there are people somewhere writing the stories but they're often just not doing the job. Like they're just not telling the story the way it needs to be told. So we take, the reason we're boutique is because we're more high touch. We, we take more time because we can, because we're working with a smaller number of clients and it's just a little more hands-on. And we're not trying to, we're not trying to place show ads on 50 shows at a time. We're doing like five, 10. So it's, it's a smaller, it's a, it's just a more intimate experience and a little more high touch. And it, it's our personalities better, I think, and yeah, and our skill sets. So, so now, what kind of podcaster or uh, startup that you are working with? Because I know, is there any relation with your podcast, The Mom Hour? It's more like motherhood, uh, yeah. lifestyle. So is that the kind of uh, market that you are working with? You know, it's really been, all, yes, but it's kind of, it's expanded beyond that as well. So it's, the thing about us that's great about um, the mom hour yeah, is that moms are in everything. Like moms are in every walk of life. Mm-hmm. Um, we're interested, of course, in products that help make our home lives easier and help us raise our kids. But we're also interested in finance. We're also interested in cars. We're also interested in household products. We're interested in fashion. We're interested in beauty. Like okay. all, it all fits, right? So Often we find that brands come to us that from a wildly different, from wildly different industries and backgrounds, and they still want us to help them find other people like us who have audiences that are interested in wide varieties of things. Because we're not super, motherhood is a niche, but not every ad we run is like super specific to motherhood because moms are just people. We're just people mm-hmm. who buy things and use things and go to work and raise our kids and drive our cars and cleaner houses and, you know, go on dates. I mean, like we do all the things, right? So, um, so I think that it, it, in a way has, it really widens us. It it gives us like a focus, but doesn't, it's not too narrow. We're not like only able to work with brands that are in this very narrow realm because, because so many products and services relate to our audience and the other podcasters that are, that we're connected with, that we can bring these campaigns to. So it works out pretty well, actually. It just, it's, it's broad enough and it's broad and, and focused at the same time, which is kind of unusual. Yeah. Yeah. I never yeah. thought about it, but you're right. Yeah. Mom is like everywhere and we need yeah. everything. And yeah, exactly. Mom, mompreneur. Right? Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yep. So they need yeah. help in that as well. So how do you promote your, uh, your product? Like how, how do you promote it now? So the funny thing is that we, have not really done much outside sales. Um, we saw a need when people kept coming to us, asking us to put together these campaigns. And then we realized that the first thing they needed help with was t- communicating their story. Like we, they needed help just getting that far. So they would hire us to basically place ads. But then when they would bring us like a, like talking points or a script, we'd have to go back and say, oh, you know, 
let's work on this. I think that maybe we could massage this and make it more effective. And that's when we realized that's where really where our strengths were. Um, but most of the work, honestly, so far of that nature has just kind of come to us. I think we will start to go out and, and be looking for that more and more. Um, but I think because our ads on the mom hour have always performed really well, it just kind of helped us realize we had some, like there was something special there that was a little bit different and set us apart. And it also made brands interested in coming back and working with us again. So if we had a brand that worked with us once and they'd say, Hey, you've got these ads performed really well. We'd like to do it again. Then we could say, yeah. And Hey, would you be interested in us putting together a campaign with five shows? And we can also help you create the ads. And so it's really been very, very organic. And that's been really nice because I feel like sometimes when you're in an industry like podcasting, that's blowing up right now, you could do anything we, we could do. We could have courses. We could, um, we could be doing one-on-one coaching and we do some of that, but like, there's all these things we could be doing, but when people are coming to you over and over and say, telling you what you're good at, <laughs> it comes, it becomes very clear. Like, Oh no, this is what we should be doing. And so that's really what we, that's where we decided to, to hone in and focus. And then the other side of course is production and, and where we're really starting to see some interest with that is people like us um, who were influencers or bloggers, you know, five years ago, and now they want a new way to reach audiences. And they've heard about podcasting and they think they'd be good at it, but they just don't know the next steps. They just don't know how to take their concept and pull together the technical aspects and pull together the, all the distribution and all that and make something out of it. And so we're doing that as well. And it really, a lot of that work kind of is just coming to us through connections, but it's not an overnight success. I mean, we've both been in these spaces for many years now. Um, so the decisions we're able to make now are very different than they would have been five years ago or 10 years ago if we were new in the space Uh, and weren't known for having done this. So you build the groundwork and sometimes the groundwork takes a long time and then suddenly things start to move and you're like, oh, that happened quickly, but it it didn't. (laughs) The seed at the beginning, right? You didn't know. And then you kind of, you're not really testing the market, but you listen to the market. I think that's yeah. what you listen to the yes. market and then the market is telling you which direction that you need to go. Exactly. And we wouldn't, we couldn't have known even two even a year ago where we saw the business going when we were thinking, well, maybe we could be an ad brokerage. Yeah. Well, in within a year, five or six major players entered that space that we don't want to compete with. Like we don't want to mm-hmm. try to compete with huge agencies. We don't want to try to compete with like Spotify. I mean, like all these companies that are moving into the podcasting space. Um, we just kind of were like, okay, so we're not a tech company and, and we don't like to do things. We're not like a mass company. We we don't really have interest in mass numbers and scale of that nature. So then what can we do that really taps into what we're really naturally good at, but still can be really profitable. And so that's kind of where where we wound up. But yeah, it takes a lot of seed planting and just listening, just paying attention and being ready and willing to move on things. Um, opportunities when they present themselves is, is really key as well because things move fast. And so opportunities will come up that you never even saw coming and they just present themselves and then you have to make a decision. <laughs> so Okay, so in, in your role, there is yeah. something... I- you mentioned something uh, earlier about money. Yes. You're saying that if you, if you struggle with money or you're focusing 
God, I cannot remember what you're I saying. I think what I said, I think what I said was that if I was focusing on yeah. if, well, okay. So two things. One thing was that I lost a bunch of clients all at once and had just become a single mom Yep. and needed to keep the lights on. Right. Yep. Yep. And when I felt for myself, at least there's a difference between healthy hustle where you feel urgency, but like not so much like you feel urgency and you want to make things happen. I think that could be very healthy and can actually move you along. There's a difference. There's a line between that and desperation and desperation makes people make really bad business decisions. And I knew that because I've been through that before. And I was like, "Mm, I don't want to start chasing money. I don't want to start taking on things that I feel like I did a lot of that in my twenties. And I will say like, that was valuable for me and I don't regret it. I learned a lot, Mm -hmm. but I'm, you know, now in my forties and I have a family and I have different Mm -hmm. goals and different needs. And I can't do that. Like I can't be in a position where I'll just do whatever because someone pays me to do it. It just leads me to working too much on things that aren't good for me, aren't good for my bottom line, aren't good for my family, aren't good for my, uh, my business in the long run. So, so that was one piece of it. And then I think, I think the other piece um, that relates to uh, my solopreneur versus a business mm-hmm. was that, you know, being a solopreneur, it's very tempting to just be thinking about, well, you're thinking about paying yourself because you're a solopreneur. So yes. it's like, uh, what do I do this month to put money in my pocket? And I was very used to that and I was good at it because I'm a, I'm a hustler and I'm, I'm good at putting money in my pocket. Yeah. But sometimes you can lose track of the long-term goal. Um, I think that solopreneurs would do well to think of themselves as a business. It's just a lot harder to do when you don't have a partner or an L, you know, like when you don't have a structure around it, it's harder, I think, to do that. So to think like I'm making this decision, not just because I want to go on vacation in two months, but because in a year I want to have moved the needle and I want to be in a better position. And I think that's really difficult for a lot of solopreneurs to do, to do well. Cause everything seems so immediate and it's all you it's everything's related to you and your yep. life day to day. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, but now here's my question. Um, yeah. did you, when you are a solopreneur? Yeah. Okay. Um, you always pay yourself, whatever the yeah. money you, you always think about profitability from the very beginning of your journey. Yeah. Well I did. And then, you know, when I started writing for a living, I had to, I had little kids, <laughs> so I was not doing it for fun. Okay. That's um, what I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was doing it cause I wanted to make a living and, and I needed to make a living. Yeah. The difference was when I took, when I stepped away from the business yep. and then I was making my living in a job, mm-hmm. I knew that I couldn't move back into the business until I could not just pull money like a salary out of the job, mm-hmm. out of the business. Sorry but also in a couple of years have doubled that. You know what I mean? Like it needed to be going someplace because it was a different decision at that point. I wasn't just, I wasn't just continuing to do what I've always done and making some money doing it and and supporting my family. It was like, so if I'm going to leave this job that has health insurance and all these other things, this is a different story. Like this has to not only do that for me, replace that, but it also has to be something with growth potential. And so, and sustainable, and it has to be something that, um, there has to be a reason I'm doing this business mm-hmm. rather than just doing what I've always done, 
which is be a solopreneur and be pretty good at it. So there, you know what I mean? The, the questions are different. Um, okay. The risk is different. When you're working with another person, the responsibilities are different. Like everything is different in this model than the old way. And so I stepped in with my eyes much wider open, I think, because I wasn't making decisions on the fly. I wasn't doing it just to get me through the year or whatever. It, the goals weren't just mine. They're not just my personal goals, but they're mm -hmm. tied to this greater entity mm -hmm. and people outside of myself. So mm -hmm. I, yes, I've always paid myself, but I was never been in a position where I could not pay myself. So that I think is different than if you were starting a business and you had say a partner who's, whose job covered all the bills and you could just take six months or 12 months and you could put in sweat equity and, you know, really get it going. Um, that's awesome. But I've never been personally in that position. So I just had to make different kinds of decisions okay. about how, about how to interact with that financial structure. If that now, makes sense. I'm interested. Yes, it yeah. is makes sense. But yeah. you know, the thing is that the reason I brought this up, it's because I, I have seen a lot of, a, a lot of solopreneur. Mm -hmm. They, they want to make money. They know yeah. that they have to uh, pay themselves, but they, they tend to forget like, because some, some, this is what I call they, if, if they, they think it's a business. Yeah. But it's actually not a business. And then when you're saying that there is a partner that is yeah. supports them for six, 12 months, if you think about it, technically, the client is using the partner's yeah. money yeah. to support themselves. Like, so yeah. you're basically, like, if I have a client and I cannot pay themselves, my partner's salary is the credit yeah. card for the client. That's right. How I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, I absolutely, it, nothing is, for, there's no such thing as free, right? Like, no matter where you, if you're giving something away or you're delaying asking for money, and I'm not sure if you're talking about people literally working for free or people working on spec or what do you like specifically? People that basically either they don't price their service correctly. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, second, like they also, and sometimes when people do not uh, price themselves correctly, there's two right. things. There is mindset. You don't yeah. feel like you are worth it. And then there is yeah. also another group there. They don't, they just don't know how they need to structure yes. pricing because their pricing should be able to cover all the expenses. And then for yeah. me, it's because they don't think ahead about what yeah. are those expenses. They forget about the taxes. Oh yeah. Forget about, yes, right? yes. They yep. forget about the taxes. They forget, you know, they may include all the expenses and then they forget like, I have to pay taxes no matter what. You have right. To they don't let you get away with that. Yeah. Exactly. So at the yeah. end of the day, yes, you may cover all your expenses. Suddenly you realize you're really not making money because you still have taxes to pay. And then right. they don't. Yeah. So I, well, you know. And there's some delusion that goes on. Exactly. I mean, I've had conversations with people where they have talked about, um, with solopreneurs, where they'll talk about going on a trip and then they'll say it's a write-off. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, that doesn't mean it just, it doesn't just equal out, right? You do, you understand how a write-off works, right? And I don't, I, I don't think that they do. I think they really literally think it's just money. They don't have to like pay the government, like they get it back. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That just lowers your liability. Uh, okay, never mind. You, you, <laughs> you're obviously not understanding how this works, but I think, yes, it's easy to be delusional when you start making money. I think people I are think, scared though, Megan. I think yeah. 
scared because I I heard it all the time, right? Like I'm scared. I, I, like I don't like numbers. It's actually yeah. not liking the numbers. I think they are scared to look at the numbers because to me, when you already look at the numbers, the yeah. reality hit. Yeah. When you're just yes. thinking about it in your head, the reality yes. does not hit you as right. hard as when you look at it on paper. So, you know, going back to what you said, you want to make sure that you have a business that yes. supports the salary, but also continue to be sustainable because you have other people as yes. well. You have employees, right? Yeah. You have your partner. So that business should be able to cover you, your partners, and all the other yes. people that are working in that. How do you make sure before you jump in and then you basically saying, yes, this is it. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. I'm leaving. What did you do to make sure that financial? That was all there. Yes. Yeah. So one thing that was really, and I think this is a great conversation to have because I have definitely been guilty as a solopreneur of just mentally ignoring some things or knowing that they're out there, but thinking, well, I'll just make more and cover that later or whatever. It is not being really clear about what the costs were. Mm -hmm. So the great thing about going, and I think there's a way to do this in a solopreneur business, but it just became easier for me with a partner um, because we had hired a bookkeeper by that point. Yep. We were having regular meetings where we would sit down and all look at the money together and look at the expenses. And, and we learned so much, like we would do something and it would look like it was bringing us all this revenue. But then when we really looked at what we had to pay out on that, we were, because we were having these meetings, we were able to go, oh, that's not worth it. Let's not do that anymore. We're not doing, we're only going to, we did that once. We learned, we'll never do that again. That is not profitable. Mm -hmm. I think the problem when it's a solo thing is everything feels profitable because it's all money in your hand. Yes, it's going you, to you. It's going your to bank you. Yes, your bank account. And so things like expenses, it's really easy to downplay those. It's really easy to not think about, you know, what those really, really are. Um, and some of it, you know, I'm, I'm interested in what you think for a solopreneur because you don't know until you've done it. Like you can have a guest, you can meet with a financial advisor or use an app or whatever, but until you've done six months or a year of actual business, it might be difficult to know which conferences are worth the money, which, which marketing is worth the money. And, and I don't know, like I'm not a financial person, so I don't know those answers, but I think getting help early and having structure around it early, whether you need to or not, mm -hmm. is probably the key. I, and, and I completely agree with that. And I think the thing is that with a lot of solopreneur, uh, the focus is always going to be marketing, right? Yeah. Because they want to generate the revenue. And then I cannot blame that, right? Yeah. The problem is this. When you do marketing, there are so many different ways of marketing, right? The key, when you are just starting, you have to be able to keep track. Don't just put your money to ads without yeah. seeing the return. The key is about planning, one, and then reviewing the result. Yeah. It's two things. Like, it's it's not complicated, but I think as a solopreneur, we are like so busy with moving, other things. Moving, we are wearing different hats. We tend to forget. We just want, like you said, it's easy to forget because the money is going to our bank, right? Yeah. And then, you know, like you, you think, oh, I received the money. Right. And then some people don't even keep track of their expenses. Yes, I agree. At the very beginning, there is, you, you have to guess. 
right? right? But as your expenses start coming in, right? You keep track of that. That's one. And then second thing, when you start pricing, okay, let's say you do not know what to price at the very beginning, right? And then you just like, okay, I just going to charge like, I don't know, $100 an hour, for example, because the market is saying that, right? But which market are you looking at? As right. you start to get client, and then this is also a learning process, right? You have to review your pricing, especially at the very beginning. You have to continue reviewing your pricing every single project. Yeah. Because you will start seeing one client, you're going to see, oh, my expenses are this. This is, this is the time that I spend. These are my expenses that related to that specific client. Keeping track and then start building up. Yeah. And then include the taxes. Don't forget to include the taxes. Then you're going to get the right pricing. Yes. That with the gross margin, with the profit margin that you, you, you need, right? And I think people just forget what I, what I really find. That's why I'm interested because you talk as a CEO. Yeah. You, you know, when you knew you're going to step in back to this entrepreneurship as a CEO, I am very sure it's more about the vision. You yes. know your role is about the vision yep. and cover like, and then you said the difference between the solopreneur and then now as a CEO, you make sure that you have a team around you that, so you don't have to do everything, Yeah, right? You know what you're good at. Right. So you cover, you build your team. And another thing, and then even though you didn't say it, but I know you think about it, is you're making sure that your business is not running out of money. That's yeah. why yes. you make sure when you take clients, it makes sense for the business, not only for you. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So do you have a business model? Like, do you, um, when I say business model, it's more like the financial model. Do you mm -hmm. have a financial model that you prepare when you sit down with your bookkeeper and then you basically say, okay, uh, the, because for your business I believe right now right you you want to see to the future and then you want to make sure that every single decision that you are making will make sense for your business yeah know, right so when you said that you want to make sure that life listen is sustainable how do you make sure do you create like a projection do you create what do you yeah, well, since like we're we're kind of like, right now, our financial meetings are a lot of digging in to reality, like looking at historical data, yep. and then figuring out what calculations do we need to know that, like because we don't have a lot of history yet. We've really only been running this agency side of things for less than a year, really, mm -hmm. um, and so we're now just in the process of going what worked, what really really worked. And then what are the things, what are the things that we're already doing that are working? And then how do we double down or triple down on those things? And we're, that's a process. Like that doesn't just happen. And then you never think about it again. Mm -hmm. us, every single time we meet, it changes a little bit and we're coming up with new ways to look at things. For example, like every meeting we look at cash basis and accrual basis of our money. But we had to like create a third category, which is basically like, how because we couldn't do projections on cash or accrual because they kind of work together and it's like a long like it, for us because we're we have a limited inventory of our as far as ads that we can run on our show so that's one big chunk of our income okay. and then potentially we have theoretical limited inventory on other work we could do but we haven't hit that limit yet we don't know where that limit is right 
we're billing for stuff six months out sometimes yeah. and we're getting the cash. So the cash doesn't really work, but the accrual also doesn't tell the whole story. We have to kind of know every month, what is our potential to earn? We don't like, we still are figuring that out because we haven't maxed out. We haven't hit the limit of what our team can do yet with all those things together. So I feel like right now it's active. It's very active. Like we are still actively figuring that out. I will say that when we do anything, um, we have a calculator, just a spreadsheet with just a Google sheet with some model, um, some numbers in it. Yep. Anytime we do anything, unless it's just running an ad in our show, because that that's already happened. Like our, the mom hour, mm-hmm. we have four ad spots. We mm-hmm. know what they're worth. We are tracking you know, how our inventory and what sells and all that, that's like a well-oiled machine. That's really working well. Mm-hmm. It's very predictable. It's easy to come up with projections around that. Mm-hmm. But when we get into these other creative services and things like that, mm-hmm. we build a calculator around it where it's basically like, what is our time within this role worth? And if either Sarah or I were taken away doing something else and we couldn't personally work on this project, mm-hmm. we would have to put someone else in that role. And then we need to mark it up because the business needs to make money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on top of the hourly labor that's going mm-hmm. into it because, mm-hmm. just because right now Sarah and I are doing most of it that will not be the case mm-hmm. back in six months that probably won't be the case mm-hmm. so every job we do has to make profit and so we need to decide what's our markup is it 15 percent? is it 20 we're trying to figure out kind of what the market will bear there it's usually between 15 and 20 percent um but that has to be on top of everything that has to be on top of anybody we pay including ourselves so that's a work in progress. I'm glad we did it that way from the very first project that we did because it helped us to see how we had to price things to be competitive and fair to ourselves and sustainable. But I'll also tell you, every time we've priced that way and had like a like a little moment like, oh no, they won't go for it, 95% of the time people go for it. I mean, the difference in money on, on one project isn't generally going to kill that project. But accumulatively, screwing ourselves out of a few thousand dollars here and a few thousand dollars there would kill us. You know what I mean? Yes. So like a couple thousand dollars isn't going to kill the deal, but a couple right. of thousand dollars multiplied by project after right. project after project would kill our, our profit in the end. So right. it's like every time you just kind of got to suck it up and like, you know, I know the markup on and hit send and yes. And yes. And then, <laughs> you know what? Like, I think you're doing a great thing because when you are doing project by project like that, yeah. okay, when you don't have like a, a monthly retainer that you receive yeah. like a flat number, you have to review the project every time. Yep. And unfortunately, that's how you're going to learn what is yes. the correct pricing. And right. then this is where people uh, misunderstood sometimes about the concept about pro- cash flow projection or budget. Because they think once you prepare something, you prepare a budget or you prepare a cash flow projection, um, you don't need to look at it anymore. Just set it and forget it. (laughs) It's so wrong because like what you are saying, let's say that you are creating a 12 month with the vision that you have because you are the visionary, right? You talk with Sarah and then you create the vision. Okay, I you know all your inventory and then you put it in a model and then you look at it and it, it seems to make sense. Then you start having a new project or something coming up or there's yeah. a big expenses that you didn't expect, right? You have to build that in again 
That's why a lot of, this is what we call reforecast. So you have your original budget and then when things changes, you reforecast it to see if it's still going to give you what you want at the end of the day. Yeah. So you are doing exactly what I, review your project every time. Like I, I understand, especially when it's new. I wish I have the magic answer to say to you that there is uh, like a specific, you know, like you have to include all these expenses, like even for a solopreneur. No, you, you can not guess. You can talk to people and then you can yeah. estimate. It's an educated you. guess. It's, it's, it's an educated, like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's the key. It's an educated mm -hmm. guess. It's not something that you just pull out of thin air and then put it in. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's just going to be a disaster. And, and it's not going to stay the same. And, and you almost have to get to where it's fun, where it becomes fun to look at the money. And I think you can get there if you put the right mindset around it. Like, like looking at the money is going to help me make better decisions. And isn't it fun to make money? Making money is fun. So let's figure out a way to make more of it. That means we have to look at these numbers, unfortunately. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. So um, what is, are you, do you have a healthy profit margin right now? Yeah. Yes. Right now it is. But I will say like, it's, it's fluctuating. Um, it changes a lot. Um, our overhead's very low. Good. We have, yeah, we have, um, two part-time employees and then we hire, uh, audio engineers and sound producers and people like that. Yeah. But for the most part, um, it really, that's kind of it. Our expenses are low for okay. now. And that's something where right now we're just, figuring that out because we do have these two businesses. We basically have a business inside of a business, yes. right? Yes. And the business inside the business is very profitable. And then the mom the, hour, right? Mom hour is very profitable. Yes. And then the, the umbrella business is kind of right now we're figuring it out. Like, is it, is the point for it to be a huge profit driver or is the point for it to be this thing where we can experiment and, and we don't know, like that's something we're still figuring out. And I think, it's okay to not know. And I think that's another thing. Like it's okay to figure it out as you go, because if we try to just decide right now, this is how it's going to be. And that's just what it is. Um, we don't need to do that. We're small. We're nimble. We, we don't have to make hard and fast decisions. We're not, we don't have a bunch of investors we owe money to. So like, we just no, you don't want investors. <laughs> just keep it. We're just, we're just answering to ourselves. And so if we decide that life listened is more of a, almost like a pet project where we can take on things that we want to take on because it's fun and that's our umbrella. That's cool. Or we can decide we want to go hard in this direction and, and that's cool too. But because the mom hour is so profitable that I think it kind of allows us to make those decisions. And it, it got that way by doing what worked over and over and over and then looking at it and saying, what worked about that? That worked. Let's do more of that. That didn't work. Let's stop doing that. You know, and it, it, it takes time. It takes time. It does. That. It yeah. does. Yeah. And so is the mom hour right now basically supporting the new business? Model? Yeah, more or less because it, it makes it, first of all, it gives us a larger platform. So it's supporting us in that way, but it's also making it possible for Sarah and I to continue drawing money out of the uh, and paying ourselves Got while it. we kind of figure out where, where the rest of it Got is going. Got yeah. It. So now, how did you make sure from the very beginning? So, okay, the mom hour. Yeah. This, is it profitable from the very beginning or no? No, it was not. No, that was a side project. It was, we were blogging and doing other things and I had client work and it was something we did because we knew that there was opportunity down the road 
I don't think it could have been honestly profitable from day one. I, I just don't see, it was 2015. Mm -hmm. um, brands weren't knocking on the door. We didn't have an audience yet, you know, so there would have had to be something else around it. It, it could have been, maybe we could have made it um, like a coaching business, or maybe we could have made the old blog and brought it over to the mom hour and, and continued making money that way. But I just think we were both ready to be kind of, to kind of step away from blogging and step into podcasting. And we were both willing to take some time and see what happened. So it was not profitable from day one. We were making money in other ways from day one. That was a, yeah, but that was a side project until it started to grow. And we said, wow, this is, we've got something here. Let's really go all in on this and focus on it. Um, and then it became profitable pretty quickly once we really saw the opportunity and decided to dial in. Okay. And yeah. then that didn't happen until 2017. Is that it? Yeah. That was kind of when it started to really, yeah. When it all started to crystallize and, and take okay. off. I, okay. maybe we, we, we made some money before that, but it was kind of like, we were, we were scattered about it. It was like, Oh, we made some money. That was great. Whatever. Like we've got other things going on and it was, it was a side project. Yeah. Um, and, and what we've really realized about that too, is you, you can't consistently make money off something that you don't, consider a business like if you don't treat it like a business, business. exactly it won't oh yield yeah it won't yield it might make you a few hundred you might be like oh wow I made some some money off that that was cool but it's not gonna you can't count on it it's not gonna grow and, and yes, sustain because you, you're really doing it because you like it yeah exactly it, it's, this is what I said earlier it's a hobby right yeah exactly like you're doing because it gives you happiness inside right. you but it's not yeah. for the money purpose right? because right, you have something exactly. else at the time now you have to make it make sure that it's providing yes. money it has to do it it, it has, has to do it. To there's do no it. choice yeah so it's a different it's just a different mindset to be in and um and it took a while to get there i mean and, and hobbies are great and i if someone wants to do a podcast as a hobby but it's always funny to me when sarah and i speak at a conference and yeah we'll be talking about how we do things and, and kind of our growth. And, and someone will say, well, how many hours a week would you say you spend on this? And I was like, Oh no, this is what we do. Like, this is, this is our business. So you, you may not have these same results if you're doing it five hours a week and that's fine if that's what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, but you have to know the difference. There are no overnight successes. That is a, it's a, it's a lie and it doesn't happen. Every time someone, something blows up overnight, it's because someone put a bunch of time, somewhere the seeds were planted somewhere even if it's not obvious um where they got planted so <laughs> okay so the podcast your podcast is it making money from the ads or yes from the ad sales from yep. the ad sales okay yep. so yeah. that's okay got yep. it okay now what are you looking forward in 2019 oh my goodness you know i would actually like things to settle down a little bit in the podcasting world because it's been crazy since since january well since last year since late 2018. Yep. Um, I feel like every time I read an industry newsletter or any, it's, it's like some, there's an acquisition and something is changing. And I feel like people are all starting to chase like the money. It's like the gold rush right now. And everyone's freaking out about it. And so I'm personally looking, I like, I kind of want to just put my blinders on a little bit and look at what it is we do really, really well. Mm -hmm. and focusing on that. So we've got a couple of shows that we're producing. Um, I'm working on a show that's going to be about pregnancy that we're producing that's going to be launching in the fall. It's called but this Ex is not your show. It's somebody else. You're helping. No, this, this one is actually Ooh. ours. This is a production, a Life Listen production, oh. kind of, yeah, spinoff of the Mama. We're not doing a lot of those, but we're, we're 
selectively we're doing those. Okay. And so this one is one that I'm actually hosting and it's a show about pregnancy. Um, it's going to be a little more narrative. So it's going to be a little more, I guess, NPR style, you know, currently. Oh, yes. like, yeah. And, um, it's, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's a challenge. It's a creative challenge. It's sort of a risk. We don't know how it'll do, but it's a, it's a place we wanted to step into. So we're excited about that. Um, and that will launch in the fall. Okay. And then we're really, we're starting to kind of, um, expand the way that we do our creative partnerships. We've done a couple things where we're helping people from launch. So not just, um, not just when their product is already there and ready and, and then they want to come to us and ask us to help them connect with podcasters, but we're actually starting to help with people pre-launch or help people work on their pre-launch strategy and get them in front of people before that and help them really hone in their messaging so that it makes sense. And that's exciting. I, I feel like that's something that we both have gotten to dabble in in other areas of our career, but now doing it as podcasters gives us a very different perspective. So that's really exciting. So I'm, tr I'm looking forward to just not paying, like keeping my eyes on my own paper for a little while, paying attention to what's going on in our business and not flipping out about what the greater podcasting world is doing because it doesn't always apply, <laughs> you know, and there's nothing I can do about it. We're not, I'm not Spotify. I can't. Is that the shiny object <laughs> syndrome? Shiny object syndrome. Well, that and it's 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 fear of missing out. Everybody right now has major FOMO because we're looking around, going, oh, "There's all this money. Like Spotify just paid four hundred million dollars to acquire this, you know, media company and and this platform. And like, well, I want to I want a cut of that. And you don't get a cut of that money by freaking out and like trying to change everything you're doing that's working to chase yeah. it. You get a cut in your own way by sticking to what works, yep. knowing your audience, knowing your customer, yep. delivering service over and over and over and over. And that's how you figure out where you fit. Otherwise it's, you're just chasing your tail like a dog. <laughs> so that's what I'm looking forward to not chasing my tail like a dog. <laughs> oh, another thing you mentioned yeah. something about membership model in one yeah. of your interview are still going, are you still going forward with that? Oh, did I? Gosh, I, I must have at one point, maybe with, with my interview with Tara, maybe. No, it wasn't with yeah. Tara. It was another, another, um, another interview with two hosts as well. Oh my God. Oh, well we're doing, I mean, we have a Patreon, so maybe that's what, maybe that's what oh, I was talking yes. about. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So what? that, yeah. So Patreon is a way to get, um, it's, I mean, it's, you could call it a membership model. It's like a subscription base. It's basically like a way that you're, patrons, your biggest listeners, your super fans can support you by Ooh. basically just, um, giving you money every month. So it could be a dollar, it could be $10, whatever it is. And oh. you can have different levels. You can just have one level. And then usually there's some perks in it for them. Like they get, um, maybe they would get like a mug or a t-shirt, or maybe they get special content or whatever it is. There's like lots of different ways you can reward them. Okay. And we have started doing that. We started dabbling with that, um, in the fall and have grown a nice little community around that. And that's really fun. We're not looking at it right now as a huge, um, profit. Like it's not a huge revenue stream okay. for us, yeah. but it is a great, it's another nice way for us to connect with the people who are really helping us and who really will listen to like anything we put out that listen. And we need to be in touch with those people and we want to hear what they think. And like, we really want to have a close connection with those people. So it makes sense for us to do that, but we're not doing that uh, to generate tons of revenue right now. Maybe okay. in the future we would, but right now, not so much. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. So I have two last questions. One, sure. I want to, I want to know what would be your advice for new podcaster? Yeah. 
Well, to be okay. successful. To be successful. <laughs> I have a lot. I know there is no one. <laughs> okay. So to, first of all, you have to know what you're doing it for. Like, what is success for you? Is it, I think a lot of people go in and they don't really know why they're doing a podcast. They're doing it because everybody's doing podcasts and it seems like a good thing to do. And they don't decide like, why do I want to, what is it about this medium that appeals to me? Mm-hmm. Is it because I want to grow my audience so I can sell my own product? Mm-hmm. Is it because I want to monetize by advertising other people's products. Those two things can go together, but sometimes then you're serving two masters and that can be hard to do. So that would be my first thing. Like understand what your goal is. Why are you doing it in the first place? Um, do you even like it? Cause I would, we've had many people come to us and say they want to start a podcast and then they'll say, but I don't really listen to podcasts. I don't really like podcasts. Then, then probably a podcast is not for you. Like just like if you don't like pictures, you don't have to be a, an awesome Instagrammer or a photographer, but like you figure out where your, where your niche is and your people are and you, where your interests are. Um, so that would be the first one. Okay. Then the second one would be whatever model you decide on. So if it's because you want to reach, um, if you're a coach, say, or a consultant and you want to reach more coaching and consultant clients, mm-hmm. then make sure that you format your show in a way where you can do that and don't be shy about it. Um, Make sure it's, it acts as that vehicle for you and don't throw that opportunity away. Like don't throw away your first couple episodes because you think, well, no one's listening anyway, because later they will go back and listen to those episodes. So don't waste anything. Like don't waste any time. It just get right into it. However you mean to go on start. Um, Same with monetizing. If you hope to have advertisers one day, Mm -hmm. set aside space in your show to run ads. Even if they aren't real ads, you don't have any paying advertisers. Talk about something like talk about an affiliate or a product that you love or something like that. So that when you do get paying advertisers, first of all, you know how to do it because it's not that easy to do an ad, like to do an ad well takes practice. And you don't want the first time you try to do an ad to be when someone just paid you money to do it. And now you have to perform and you don't know what you're doing. Oh, and now the structure of my show looks totally different than it did before. Cause I'm trying to squeeze this advertiser in, just start with it. Just start from day one. Um, and B it also trains your audience that this is what I do. This show has ads. If they know that going in, it's going to be less disruptive to them in the future. If suddenly 50 episodes in, you have ads like, they're like, what, why wait? You know, just start right from the beginning. You'll be used to it. They'll be used to it. Everybody will be up here. So (laughs) I heard about that tip before somebody is saying that, well, I read it somewhere probably. And it said, if you don't wait to don't think that if you are brand new, you cannot get at somebody to advertise it. Yeah. That's- yeah, you can reach out to to com- to companies you love, or you know, there's lots of ways to do that. But just start structure your show the way you want it to be. Fifty episodes in, because once you're in a habit of doing it one way, it's very difficult to change. So- and then this is when you come in. Then you you know you help you help the 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 podcaster to say it in a correct way, yes. and it's yeah. more engaging. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So, what would be your advice? as a successful female entrepreneur to another entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs that they are thinking of starting this journey and, or they are struggling right now. And then thinking like, do I need to go back? Maybe I need to go back to work. So you have both experience. So I do. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess, uh, Hey, there's no shame in trying both sides. So like, if you think right now is where you need to be is in the workplace because it, 
gives you a rest or a breather, or it allows you to decide what you want to do before you jump in and you're financially stressed, whatever it is. And that feels like the right path. You're not shutting a door. Mm -hmm. You can still make steps toward getting back into the entrepreneurial uh, journey down the road. So that it, neither one of those options cancels the other one out. (laughs) Um, But if you feel like doing this yourself is in your heart, like if this is really what you want, just start, don't overthink it. Um, you're going to make mistakes later. You're going to look back at the first year and think what that was a hot mess. Why did I do half of those things? And that's totally okay. Like nobody has it all figured out and it doesn't matter if you're talking to somebody who runs a huge company or someone who works by themselves, you know, like everybody struggles. Women are terrible at acting like, like women are really, we struggle with thinking we have to present to the world that we know more than we do. I go to a, um, a group of male, of it's not for men, but I go to an entrepreneur group in my community and it's almost all men. It's like 35 dudes and like me and this one other woman. And I'm amazed sometimes that they'll just fully admit to not knowing stuff. Like they just admit to not knowing stuff and then they all help each other. And I'm like, women don't, we don't feel like we can do this. We feel like we have to have this facade that we know everything and that we don't have questions and that we got it all figured out because we think we won't be taken seriously otherwise or whatever it is. We don't ask for help in the same way. We don't like, there's just, there's like a curtain that we all need to pull back like we're doing right now and say, Hey, I'm figuring this out. My financial model. I don't know. It's a work in progress, but I'm working on it every single month. Right. And so, and you lean on people that have skills and expertise you don't have. And yes, and then you, everybody helps each other lift up. But like, don't worry about knowing it all. You, there are going to be things. Part of the reason I took that job in that agency was because I had never worked in an agency before. And I thought that I would learn things from that job about pitching a client or putting together a proposal that I didn't know. I thought there was some language they had that I didn't have that I needed to learn before I could be taken seriously running an agency of my own. And what I learned was I was already doing it better. Like I knew a lot more than I thought I knew. And I learned that I was in an agency where half the people were 15 years younger than me and much greener than me and didn't know like what they were doing at all. And I was like, oh wait, I already know this stuff. Like I don't need this. I don't need this. I I needed the the confidence was nice, but like I really didn't need them to teach me how to be in this world. I'm already doing it. Like I've done it. So I've been doing it for so many, many, many years. Yes. So you know, you know more than you think you do. So don't, don't, don't discount what you know. Okay. So yeah. Megan, what did you want to be when you were little? I wanted to be a Broadway actress or a writer. So some okay. of that did come true or a solid gold dancer. Do you remember the show solid gold? It was like a show in the seventies and eighties and people would I sing didn't popular. Up here, yeah. so, okay. <laughs> so you should look it up because it's, okay. it's something what else. What is it called? Well, it's solid gold. And okay. it's like these women in like these leotards and they're dancing and it's uh male. That's what you yeah. I want it was and it was like a like a pop show. Like oh, they would do pop songs and these girls it, would dance. I it. wanted to be one of those dancers. I so look it up. Yeah. So I'm an amateur actress. I do I do local theater yes. and um and I became a writer and I always always wanted to be a business owner. I always kind of knew I would work for myself in really? some way. So yep. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, Three out of four ain't You achieve your dream. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you have five kids, right? I do. Yep. Okay. So where do you, what do you do when you want to have quiet moments? They go to school. 
yes. Or I also work at a, I have a co-working space that I, um, that I um, belong to. So that's like a space where you can go and work, yes. you know, in, in a quiet yeah, yeah. place. That's not it's your like home. We work. Yeah. Yes. Kind of like we work, but in my, in my community. And, um, I, I go, I go there, I go to the coffee shop, but most of the time I kick them out. I'm not afraid to kick them out. They're with their dad a lot of the time too. So I get them out of the house. That's how I get quiet time. I know. That's what I did this morning. My son was saying like, Oh, I don't want to go to school this morning. I'm like, no, you have to go. go I can't have you in here. Yeah. You gotta go. (laughs) There is no time for you today over here. Go to school. You can have the weekend. Not exactly. Yeah. Okay. Megan, where can people find you? So you can find the best place to go find me is at lifelistened.com. That's our website that hosts, uh, that houses, sorry, kind of all of what we do. If you want to check me out personally, my site is being redesigned right now. So hopefully by the time this goes live, it'll be redesigned. Um, Just at Megan Francis, that's with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N-F-R-A-N-C-I-S.com. And then you can find out a little bit more about me personally, but Life Listened will teach you or tell you pretty much everything you need to know as well. Okay. Are you on Twitter or Facebook? I'm on, I'm on Twitter, uh, sporadically. I keep trying to get more into it. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on, I am on Facebook. Um, and I'm on Instagram and I'm Megan Francis everywhere. Perfect. Megan, it has been fun. It's been a pleasure. Tons of nuggets. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by my own CFO program where I help CEOs and entrepreneurs how to grow their business through the power of finance and positive cash flow. This program is created for CEOs and entrepreneurs who have six figures or seven figures business. But either you struggle to pay yourself like a true CEO, or you treat your business like a credit card for your clients, or you simply do not know where all your money goes. I want to help you. I want to make sure that you have a business, not only a hobby. Thank you so much for listening to another powerful episode of Her CEO Journey podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud so you will not miss another episode. My hope this podcast resonates and inspires you to continue your own CEO journey. If you are inspired, please leave a nice review on iTunes so more female entrepreneurs will listen to this podcast. And when you are ready to pay yourself like a true CEO, take control over your finances and want to know how to grow your business through the power of finance and positive cash flow, visit my website, kristinashahli.com and download my free video training series. Now, let's continue your CEO journey in confidence and make sure you inspire other female entrepreneurs.